Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Hello, this is Pastor Daryl. I wanted to mention that partway through today's sermon, there's an interruption, and the podcast app that I use doesn't allow for easy editing. So you can skip ahead oh, 10 or 15 seconds maybe, maybe a little longer. Uh, and then uh, you'll, you'll see that I, I pick back up into the sermon. I hope it's a blessing to you, and uh, may the Lord bless you today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. That's what we'll be covering today. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is significant in that it has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. If I remember correctly, the Holy Spirit's mentioned only four times so far up to this point, but it'll be mentioned 19 times just in chapter 8. I he would mention 19 times just in chapter 8. Uh, it seems uh, appropriate in this All Hallowed Eve, a night of spirits, that we would talk about the Holy Spirit um, and the impact he has on our lives. Romans 8 talks a lot about what the Holy Spirit provides to us, and I thought it'd be helpful just to kind of of go over an outline of the major things that the Holy Spirit does for us that we're going to go in more detail uh, later on. First off, uh, the Holy Spirit provides for every believer. In verse 2, we see that he provides freedom. Freedom from sin, uh, freedom from the power of sin, uh, freedom from the prison that we were in, freedom uh, from the condemnation, the, the, uh, the death sentence that loomed over each and every one of us. In verse 11, we see the Holy Spirit provides us strength for service. It's the Holy Spirit that strengthens us, encourages us. <clears throat> We see in verse 13, the Holy Spirit provides <clears throat> victory over sin. What we could not do ourselves, God gives us his strength to accomplish. <clears throat> in verse 14, the Holy Spirit provides us guidance. Knowing what to do, decisions we make every day, the many decisions throughout the day that we make, uh, while most of them are benign, you know, what we're going to have for breakfast, many decisions throughout the day uh, are, are moral decisions and decisions on our behavior, our attitude, our actions. And the Holy Spirit provides guidance on that. 
does it many ways too. Uh, I, I, while most Christians, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind a scripture verse that you've read before. Maybe you haven't read in a long time, but suddenly you can almost recite that verse word for word. Uh, I've seen a lot of, for, for newer Christians who aren't uh, as read in the Bible, uh, I've seen a lot of them will uh, do, do the blind flip. They'll pray about something and they'll flip through the Bible and they'll open it up and a verse will just jump out at them. I think God does that. I don't think that's what we should do for practice. I think we should just learn the Bible. Uh, but I think God in his grace uh, helps people where they're at in their walk with God. Verse 16, we see the Holy Spirit provides wit uh, witness for sonship. Witnesses that we are in fact his, that we're in fact God's children. And in verse 26, we see the Holy Spirit provides assistance in prayer. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray and prays with us. <clears throat> in short, the Spirit who brought the life of God himself to us has set us free from the power of our flesh and free to be the person God wants us to be. <clears throat> so, having gone through that, let's, let's read then, begin reading Verse 1 of chapter 8, Therefore no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Looks like I guess I read the second verse there too. That's okay. Let's go back to the first verse. <clears throat> the word therefore is an indication to us that Paul has some, some kind of conclusion here. So based on what he said recently, come our shortfall. Remember, he was talking to those who were, who were wanting to serve the law. And then you had those who wanted to live without the law. And then you have those who want to fulfill the law through Christ. And so his conclusion is that there's no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> The word no there is very interesting. Uh, in, in Greek writing, the, where the New Testament was originally written, uh, the first word they put down in a sentence, they would consider the most important word in that sentence. In this case, the word no is the first word in the sentence in Greek. So they put an emphasis on no, and it's not just a regular no. If it was a regular no, it would be ooh. Just the word ooh. But he wrote ude, which is an emphatic no. Absolutely not. Exclamation point. There is no, there's absolutely no condemnation. Remember, condemnation is, is a death sentence. It is, is, uh, uh, is the judgment against and, and the expectation that you are going to die for this crime there's no none of that for the Christ follower. So we see that that's the first privilege we read in this. The first privilege as Christ followers is there's no condemnation for us. And notice the word now. It's, it's not later in, in some time in the future or maybe perhaps uh, after death. It is right now we are... 
we have we have we do not have any condemnation against us because of our faith in Christ. <clears throat> this uh, passage literally mean uh, this verse literally mean not even one adverse judgment and resultant punishment to those in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, as I already read, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ, Jesus has set you free. That's our second privilege. Verse 8, no condemnation. Then, then uh, being, uh, being found innocent by God and, and, and not having any condemnation against us, boy, that's a lot. Then God takes it further and sets us free. From the law of sin and death. <clears throat> Verse three: What could the law, what the law could not do, since it was limited by the flesh? God did. Remember, the law couldn't do it because our flesh was weak. We had a propensity to sin, so the law could not save us. So, what the law could not do, God did. We see here, and, it's, and he did it, and we're going to read these verses. God did it in an essentially Trinitarian, well, God's, let me rephrase that. God's plan of salvation is essentially Trinitarian. We're saved not by the law, but by grace through Christ, what he did. We're sanctified, not by the law, but through the Spirit. And continuing on, he, he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the flesh like ours under sin's domain. And as a sin offering. We see. Here, God condemns sin in the flesh. So here God. What, what did God do? He, I, what, what we find what he accomplished. He, he sent his own son. Not just send him, but send him in, in, in the flesh like us. And he sent him as a sin offering and then used Christ to condemn sin. So we didn't have to be there. When, sin, when you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to be where when sin is when our life is sin our life is condemned. Sin has been condemned for us. Verse 4, In order the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those words in order at the beginning we indicates God's purpose in all. What's the purpose of God 
uh, God's plan of salvation is that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us. The law be fulfilled. We don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here we see the whole, we see holiness explained. We talk a lot about holiness. We read holiness books. We call ourselves a holiness church, part of a holiness denomination. We consider ourselves a holiness people. And here's a plain explanation of it. We see in this passage that holiness is the purpose of atonement. Number one, God not only wants to save us, but he wants to make us right with him. Number two, holiness consists of fulfilling the law. Doing what is right, living righteously. Number three, we see that it's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us to make us holy. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh... Think about the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, about the things of the Spirit. The Amplified Bible says like this, For those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires, set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by the desires of the Spirit, set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. Our mindset expresses our basic nature as Christians and non-Christians. Where is your attention going? These people have, have their minds set on what nature desires, those of the flesh, what nature desires, whereas those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now people are, are in fact, people are what they think. But people also, even more so, as we see from the Bible, people think what they are. You can tell somebody who's you spend enough time with somebody, you can begin to tell who they belong to, what matters to them. Let one man tell me that you know he 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 loved Jesus and wanted to follow him, and then a little while later. Someone made him mad and he said, I hate him. I'm never, you know, he did something to me. I'm never going to forgive him. And I said, the Bible says if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. And he said, I don't care. Was he following the spirit of the flesh? 
It's pretty obvious. He was following the flesh. A good question to ask ourselves at this point, of what character are the thoughts that fill our minds? And depending on how we answer that question, we can learn a lot about ourselves. The trouble is, many of us don't pay attention to what thoughts go through our minds. We don't really know. We just react. Verse 6, for the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. You see, our mindset, when we put our minds to, has eternal consequences. Eternal death or eternal life. Verse 7, for the minds of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law for it is unable to do so. Our mindset reveals our attitude toward God. And if you don't submit to God, then you're following the minds of the flesh. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So to sum up, we have two categories of people. The unregenerate who are, unregenerate who are in the flesh and the regenerate who are in the spirit. Who have two perspectives and mindsets, the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit which lead to two patterns of conduct, living according to the flesh or according to the spirit, and result in two spiritual states, death or life, war or peace. Thus our mind, our mind and where we set it and how we occupy it plays a key role in both our present conduct and our final destiny. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. This is the mark of an authentic Christian. Someone who has a mindset for the Spirit. This is the test of whether... You're laying hold on the power of the life of Christ in you. Is your home different? It doesn't make any difference how well you talk in public, but how are you different at home? This is the test. For that's where the Christian life is designed to be lived. And I've known people who in public were just... The perfect example of a Christian. They dress modestly. They talk softly. 
They smile and they worship. They seem to be enthused about worship. But as soon as they were home, like a different person, there's hostility, anger, lack of charity, lack of love. Verse 10, now if Christ is in you, the body is dead. You can interpret that as mortal. We're not talking about we're already dead. Our body is dying. These by our eternal. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. That's the hope we have in Christ. Though our bodies are dying, we will continue on in life and not just continue on, but continue on with God. Verse 12, so then brothers... We are not obliged to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We are not obliged to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Now this, different translations are going to have this a little bit differently. Uh, it'll say we are debtors but not to sin or not to the flesh. Um, there's a lot of study on this. It, it's a difficult verse to translate. It can easily be translated either way. Um, but I think even though in, in, in my version doesn't mention specifically that we are debtors, are there already kids here? All right. Um, okay, so where was I here? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I was mentioning that uh, whatever translation you have, if you have a translation that says, doesn't blatantly say that we are debtors, inferring we're debtors to God, I, I, there's plenty of other scriptures that support we are. Um, but here we say we're not obliged to the flesh to live the court. We don't owe uh, flesh anything. We don't owe sin anything. We are obliged to God. Which is the second consequence of being saved. Uh, and, and the first consequence is the life we receive. Verse um, 13, if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And this is by the Spirit, not on our own, not of our own strength, putting to death the deeds of the body. 
And what does this put into debt? It, it, the word is mortification, and it's not uh, masochistic or, or ascetic, where you know you, you masochistic, you enjoy uh, pain in life. Not that. It's not ascetic, where you, you denounce all pleasures in life. Uh, this is a, a radical rejection of evil. This absolute rejection, and, and what do we put to death? What do we put to death then? Well, it says the misdeeds of the body. Any use of the eyes, ears, mouth, hands, feet to serve sin, and it's a daily effort. For years, I prayed, God, may I only see what you would have me see. May I only hear what you would have me hear. May I only say what you would have me say. May I only do what you would have me do. May I only go where you would have me go. May I only think what you would have me think. But notice if we do that, we will live. We have to totally reject everything we know to be wrong and not even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now this is not an unhealthy form of repression, pretending that evil does not exist and refusing to face it. It is the opposite. We have to pull any evil out of, out of us, look at it, denounce it, and hate it for what it is. Then you really dealt with it. If temptation comes to us through what we see, handle a visit, then we must be ruthless and not looking, not touching, not going, and, and so controlling the very approaches of sin. Just be radical about it. Now both verbs, in verse 5 where it says set their minds, and in verse 13 put to death, are in the present tense. For they describe attitudes and activities which should be continuous, involving taking up the cross every day and setting our minds on the things of the Spirit every day. So why should we practice mortification of sin in our life? Well, first we have an obligation, as I mentioned. Second, Paul says it's the way to life. Verse 14, all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. What, verse 14 through 17, what is immediately noteworthy about this paragraph is that in each of the four verses, God's people are designated as his children or sons, which of course includes daughters. Now each and each, this is privileged status, and is related to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word, the phrase, by the Spirit, does not mean that the Spirit is a tool or a weapon that we wield. The Spirit is a person. We are in His hands, not He in ours. And so the evidence of our sonship is this. 
Do we fight sin in our lives or do we feel blasé about sin? Does it bother us? And all this that the Spirit leads us, it's a Spirit. I mentioned earlier, it's man who had been seeking the Lord uh, uh, for the past month uh, and, and trying to work out some issues in his life. I just had a, a, a what we would call an aha moment and, and truth that he'd known about was just opened up to him and he understood and it meant something to him and he saw how it affected his heart and his life. That is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Notice the Holy Spirit replaces fear for freedom. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Instead, we receive adoption. Now, what's interesting about that, um, let's not uh, attach our modern uh, understanding of adoption. We Often we think of it as a legal action. And sure, the couple loves the child. Um, but it's, it, the child is adopted. And often adopted children are seen as second class to, to the, the, the children they have by natural birth. But in, in ancient Greek and Roman times, if a man adopted a son, that son became his son in every way. Every way, receive full honors, receive full benefits, all that. And that's how God sees us. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. The interesting thing about that phrase so for one thing, the word Abba is, is not a formal name. It's like dad. Jesus used it, and, and, the, and the religious teachers at the time would not have used it as too familiar a term to refer to God as, as far as they were concerned. And the word cry out is an emotional, emotional, meaningful cry. When the kids were growing up, one of my favorite things was coming home and the kids would joyously yell out, Daddy! I love that. That's very much what we're talking about here. God loves to hear you cry out to Him. as his child. 
Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. We're about at a time here. So we're his kids. We're encouraged to call him Father. Verse 17, of children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And suffer with him, that's, that's part of it. We're going to suffer. We suffer at various levels, suffer at different parts of life, suffer at different ways. Some of us go through some really bad times in our lives, and some of us may not suffer that much at all, but we do suffer as Christ followers because we're at war with the world. But we know that we'll be glorified with Christ. And 14 through 17, as I finish it, I remind everyone that, that this, these, those four verses is common to all believers. The rich young ruler asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. But the rich young ruler missed the point because inheritance is not a matter of doing. It's a matter of being, of being in a, the right family, God's family. Whatever you're going through, if you're in the right relationship with God, you're saved and you're following Him, remember this. That God has your back. That everything doesn't fall on your hands. God has everything taken care of. No condemnation. Freedom. Uh, in fact, freedom replaces fear. Inheritance. Glory. It's a pretty good trade. Thank the Lord for His Holy Spirit to help us. And pray that He continues to do so. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.